Today we are going to kick off a new kind of series leading us right up to Easter Sunday uh, during Lent. And uh, we're going to be talking around this theme of the kingdom and the cross. The kingdom and the cross. And how to make sense of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, uh, sometimes called the kingdom of heaven. And also, um, how to, where does the, the cross fit into this? And um, how do we make sense of the different language that gets shared around in church world around the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of salvation? How do we make sense of all these different ways of understanding who God is and what it is that God is doing? And I want to begin the series um, straight off this morning by asking you a question. How many of you, if you grew up in church, you learnt the Romans road? Does anyone know what I mean when I say that? Can I get a show of hands if you know what I mean when I say the Romans road? All right. Okay. A few people. You went to the same kind of Sunday school or church that I did. The Romans Road was a way of understanding the kind of minimal, simplest understanding of the gospel. And it went something like, we're all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And these are actual scriptures in the letter to the Romans. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is eternal, uh, the gift of God is eternal life. And that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so... I was armed with that, um, a few different passages from there, and then I was armed with one other scripture that you would know very, very well, and that is John chapter 3, verse what? Ah, you know that one a bit better. All right, John three sixteen. I knew this one so well, and so I kind of had the Romans Road verses ready to go. If someone ever said to me, why are you a Christian? Cool. Here's those verses, and then here's this one. This is the clencher, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. That he gave his only son, that whoever so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Absolutely, amen. So here's what I did with that when I was in about year six. I went to Sunday school, we learned about John 3:16, we learned the Romans Road verses, and I was ready to go and save my neighborhood. And so I literally went home one Sunday, went into my bedroom wrote out every one of the verses in Romans Road Journey and John 3.16 on separate pieces of paper and I went to my neighbor's house. Well, I asked my mom and dad if I could go out and tell them about Jesus and I don't think they knew how to say no to that. So uh, they somehow said yes and I literally went next door to the neighbors. I knocked on the door and the lovely lady who was, she had German accent came to the door and she said, oh, hello, hello, my boy. And she said, how can I help you? And I, I had tucked in my belt. I don't have a belt now, but I tucked in my belt all of the little verses. And I pulled out the first one. And I said, oh, I've come to tell you. <laughs> I've come to tell you about Jesus. And she smiled and went, wow. And I said, so I'm going to read to you the verse. And I just rolled it open like a scroll almost on this little piece of paper out of an exercise book, and I started reading, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then I looked at her for her to respond and say, Yeah, I need that, and I'm going to do that. And she didn't. 
And it was uh, quite an awkward moment. And she wasn't sure what to do. And I wasn't quite sure what to do because they didn't tell me at Sunday school what to do next if someone just looks at you blankly. And she thought it was really lovely that I wanted to read a verse in the Bible to her. And then she said, is there anything I can do for you? And I said, I was like, I just wanted you to know that Jesus loves you. And she said, thank you so much. And then she said, can I get a ball for you from over the fence? Because we normally went there to knock on the door to get a ball that had gone over the fence. And I said, no, that's all. And she said, thank you. And I said, thank you. And then I went home and my evangelism that afternoon ended. And I went home, went into my room and just went, what? What happened? I read, I read the verse. She didn't become a Christian. And I was just confused and didn't understand why God didn't care to save people through me. That was how I understood the gospel at that age. Now, I want to take a few moments, and we're going to read a bunch of scripture together this morning. And I want to take us back to the book of Isaiah as we begin this series, The Kingdom and the Cross. And I want to begin from Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to read a few different scriptures here this morning. And as we do, I want you to be thinking about the fact that what I'm reading to you this morning, what we are hearing, is centered deeply in the history of the unfolding story of God and the nation of Israel. So we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Now, backstory to this is, if you read in the, in the chapters before, God had called Israel to be a blessing to the nations. They saw Jerusalem as that center point city through which the nations of the world would be blessed. But now, as a result of rebellion and their refusal to live in the blessings and the ways of God, living out their true identity and calling in God, they are about to go into exile. Many of them have already gone off into exile. The Assyrians have come in to attack. The story of exile is that the Assyrians come, the Babylonians come, and it's a real mess. And the people in Israel and the people in particular in Jerusalem are wondering, where are you, God? What's happened to our blessing? What's happened to our nation? What's happened to our city? And so the prophets are declaring that, yeah, things haven't gone to plan. This was not God's intention or plan for you as a nation, as a people. Your intention, the intention and plan was that you would bless the nations of the world, and this has not happened. As a matter of fact, the very opposite has happened. You have basically hogged this blessing for yourself. You have abandoned and abused the purposes of God. You have neglected God's justice, his, per, his peace, and his ways. And now you are going into exile. But because God is always faithful, there is a message of hope that comes to them. And the message is this, nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. That's their lands. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles. Where did Jesus do his ministry? Galilee. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Throughout other passages in the prophets, the vision for humanity is that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. 
that wherever you go on the planet, you will see the wonders of the Creator, the majesty of God in creation and through His people. This was always the vision and the hope that the world would be filled with the glory of the Lord. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery, and you will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Imagine hearing this when your nation's going into exile and everything is crumbling around about you. You're living in ruins and you're wondering, where are you, God? And then you hear that hope is ahead. That there is someone who is going to bring about these wonderful things we have just heard. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, some chapters on, we hear the words, you may have heard these words before, they're also quoted in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And the prophet declares, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. We move to the Gospels in the Gospel of chapter Luke, verses four, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. And this is the account where Jesus goes into the synagogue and he begins to read the scriptures for that day. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, speaking of Jesus, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, what we've just been reading, okay? The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor, you may understand this as a jubilee, a time when debt 
is cancelled, when things are made new and it's a clean slate, when the time of the Lord's favour has come. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Not your normal Bible reading day. And then he began to speak to them and he said these radical words. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Then in the Gospel of Mark, we read one more scripture this morning. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, and it should say Mark, not Matt Key. But I just put that there for those people that love to be more engaged during the message and pick out spelling mistakes, just to keep your mind engaged. The second half of verse 14, which is why you have a little B there, it says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. And this is what he said, the time promised by God, now let's pause there for a moment, the time promised by God. What did we begin reading? The prophets, Isaiah, and by the way, Isaiah wasn't the only one saying this has declared that the nation of Israel who's gone into exile, they've lost their way. Someone is coming in the line of David who is going to bring about his rule and reign and this kingdom will be a kingdom that will never end. It will last for eternity. And it's unlike the kingdoms of this world. So this has been prophesied and Jesus says the time promised by God has come at last. Woo! Now, if you know that backstory really well, because every single day of your life, your family, your community, in the synagogues, you've been longing, hoping, wondering. And here's the thing, even though historically, technically, Israel had come back out of exile and they'd been making their way back from Babylon to Jerusalem to try and reestablish themselves as a nation, the people still saw themselves as being in exile. Why? Because it just felt like from one exile moment to another, now they are under the empire of Rome. And they are wondering, when are we going to be free? And what are you doing with us, God? And so Jesus preaches, hey, this is some very good news. That's why it says God's good news. It's actually good. It's really good. It's the kind of good that when someone announces something that has changed, your reality has changed, you feel that overwhelming sense of joy. It's like your heart is warmed. It's just like you get those funny feelings like, whoa, things are different now. And he says the the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. And then he says to them, repent of your sins and believe the good news. In other words, change your mind, change your perspective, change your direction, and believe this wonderful good news. Now, I want you to have a look at a slide for a moment that has a picture of an event that my brother and I were part of when we were teenagers. It's called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Does anyone know or have heard about this or ever been to one of these? 
Did anyone become a Christian, a follower of Jesus at one of these? This is a very important question. Yes. Okay. Because what I'm about to say (laughs) is controversial. And here's what I love about God. God can use anything on the planet to bring people to himself. Because God's wonderful and his spirit and he's good and he redeems and he restores and he forgives and he sets people free. And he invites us to be his disciples and to join him. When I was a teenager, my brother in this play that came from the U.S. to Australia was a big event in our community and all the local churches came along. My brother got to play the most amazing role of the devil in the play, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And the fundamental question was, what if today was your last day? And here's how the play goes. It's kind of horrific, it's a little disturbing, it's unsettling, and it's not good for kids to be present. Unless, of course, you buy into the, the, the actual framework of what the message is. And here's how it goes. Life's unpredictable, bad things happen, and when you die in a, a car crash or you, know, you fall off a building or something happens, at that moment, you're going to stand before the judge. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You now have a ticket to get into heaven's gates, and you are sweet. But if you didn't do that in your life, then my brother, sorry, then the devil and his demons, they come out and they take you in front of everyone watching, and the person's screaming and crying, no, no, and they're like, (laughs) and they take him off, and everyone's freaked out. And it goes like this, just on and on and on. And then at the end, Preacher, someone like me, gets up and says, well, mate, I don't know about you, but I mean, what's your choice? This is your last day. I mean, you can walk out here tonight, get hit by a bus, something could happen on the way home. You want to make sure, like, you're right with God. So who wants to be right with God? Everyone, right? Who, who, who doesn't want that? So, like, everyone walks down the front. I want that. I don't want that to happen to me. And they become a Christian, and we all celebrate, and we're like, whew, how good is that? Look at all these people that got what we call saved. And then they go on, they live their life, and they're saved, and it's good, and they go to church so they don't lose their salvation, and they might tithe, and they might do a few things. To, but most of the rest of that worldview is centered around this very basic idea, that the gospel is you only need to know the Romans road part, and the rest of it you don't really need to know. Which is the gospel I grew up with? And it's a part of it, it's not the whole. And it's actually not even the main point. Now when I say this, it's as, it may be as jolting for you to hear that as it was for me the first time I started thinking about this and wrestling with this. But if you're going to be someone that loves the gospels, and you're going to be someone that loves the scripture, and this is why we're taking this whole season from now up until Easter Sunday to be able to talk about the gospel of the kingdom and the cross and to understand what is the gospels telling us. And when I say the gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books that I didn't really need to read much as a kid growing up other than to look for a few principles for how to do Christian living, which very often meant I was missing the whole point of what the parables or Jesus' teaching was all about whilst trying to find some principle to have a successful Christian life. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And so I would read them through and I'd go, that's cool. And I would treat the Gospels a little bit like the backstory to the main story. And the main story is this. 
You just need to know what we call the gospel of salvation. That is that Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. And you know what? If you're worried about death and what happens after death, that sounds like good news. Now, I want to be very clear before anyone sends me an email or sends me a book. And it definitely happens. Because I want this to be a dialogue and I want this to be a wrestle. And I don't want everyone to say, I want you to think. I want you to wrestle. I want you to struggle. I want you to go, oh, well, let's look at this. Let's, let's read. Let's study. Let's, let's dive into Scripture and, and try and understand what is the Scripture telling us. It's really important that you understand that the gospel of the kingdom and everything that we read in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus' life is the gospel. It's the gospel that tells us how God became king. It reminds us that in the beginning of creation, God created the heavens and the earth and he declared it what? Good. He's never, ever, ever given up on the good creation that he made. And we know this because all the way through the Hebrew scriptures, God is committed to bringing a people to himself to be his body, to be his hands and feet, so to speak, in the world, to actually be the very expression of the presence of a good God in the world and to bring about God's goodness to the world. And the idea was that from the time of Abraham, God said to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. It wasn't to say, you're blessed, you get to go to heaven and everyone else doesn't because you're my special favorite people. It was, I'm calling you with a unique purpose to actually, to all the people of the planet, to represent, to love, to serve, to create a world of, where you steward the earth in such a way that human beings and creation flourishes. Which is why when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, the word is cosmos, he loves the entire creation. It's not just the people on the planet. And if you grew up with the gospel idea was, the gospel was, hey, one day, what's going to happen is, if you've got your ticket to heaven, you're going to be sweet. Because when the rapture happens, we'll talk about that another time in the year, when this thing happens and all the Christians disappear magically, the world's going to kind of get burnt up and then one day we'll be in heaven and it's the new heaven and it's all going to be all great. But that is to miss the entire point of the gospel. All the way through the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament, the entire gospel is this. God has never given up on this world. God has always had the one intention, and that is to bless the world through his people. And now, finally, God has become king through Jesus with the launching of his, sorry, through his death and through his resurrection, he has launched the recreation of the world. And you see this pattern all the way through the gospel of John. And not only that, it's that God's commitment is to reconcile all things. Read the first chapter of the letter of Colossians. Read the first chapter of the letter of Ephesians. And read about how God's commitment is to reconcile all things to himself. Then you jump to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And you actually see that the unfolding story of Scripture has always been the marriage and the coming together of heaven and earth. Which is why it makes so much more sense when Jesus says, pray like this. May your kingdom come on what? On earth as it is in heaven. Not the kingdom will happen one day once we all take off from this bad place. 
God's commitment is to redeem, to renew, to restore, and to make all things new, including you, me. We get saved. We get rescued. And then we join with God in his restoration of all things. And if you die because our present bodies, God has started this new creation as as a few different authors, but one mainly called uh, Tom Wright says, new management has taken over the world and it's begun, but it's not fully completed yet. Some theologians call this the now, but not yet. And the idea is that God has begun his new creation, but our bodies are still decaying, but we have resurrection hope. The hope isn't that we'll live off in heaven with these disembodied bodies and we get these sort of new spiritual bodies up in heaven. The idea is that we'll be resurrected and we will join God in the age to come and we can put our hope in God. So does God rescue us, save us, deliver us, set us free? 100%. Does God forgive us of our sins? Absolutely, and I'm so incredibly grateful for that. What's the biggest story it sits within? New creation. I want to finish by reading to you as the musicians come, just in this introduction today. Tom Wright sums up so well for us. He's one of the world's leading New Testament theologians and scholars, and he's huge on this. And if you would like to read a couple of books to help kickstart some of your thinking around this, I would encourage you to read, his academic name is often referred to as N.T. Wright. Um, He's written a book called Simply Christian. It's a little book, but it's a great book that captures the heart and essence of the whole council or the whole um, story of God through Israel and through Christ and this story of how God becomes king. Do you remember back in the Old Testament, we hear the story of how the people wanted a king because they wanted to be like the nations of the world? Well, that was a failure. That didn't work very well. Because the plan all along was that God would become king, that God would always rule and reign over his creation and that we would be his stewards, his servants that go and would love and serve the world, reflecting the image of God to the world around about us. And Tom Wright summarizes the good news in this way and I want to read it to you this morning. It's so good. I've got the first little part of this up on a screen but there was too much to put on. He says, the good news is that the one true God has now taken charge of the world. Amen. In and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. And by the way, as we um, go through this series, we're going to unpack the power of the cross and what it means for our life and the resurrection. The ancient hopes have indeed been fulfilled, but in a way that nobody imagined. God's plan to put the world right has finally been launched. He has grasped the world in a new way to sort it out and to fill it with his glory and justice as he always promised. But he has done so in a way beyond the wildest dreams of prophecy. The ancient sickness that crippled the whole world and with and humans with it has been cured at last so that new life can rise up in its place. Life has come to life and is pouring out like a mighty river into the world in the form of a new power, the power of love. The good news was and is that all this happened in and through Jesus, that one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation and that we humans, every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in that transformation here and now. This is the Christian gospel. Man, I love that summary. So what does that mean? Well, man, I could talk about this for like five hours and we just don't have the time. 
I'll tell you what this means. When I stood in worship this morning and I sang my heart out, I sang my heart out because I'm saying, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. And so often I'm not reflecting your image in the world. I need to worship you because what we worship, we become like. And when we understand our lives isn't all just about my own personal flourishing and success, as Aristotle put the emphasis, the great philosopher who said human flourishing is the goal, human flourishing isn't the goal. All of creation flourishing. And that changes then how I'm shaped because if I'm shaped in the way of Jesus and the cross of Christ, then my life isn't about me. My life is about others and the flourishing of the whole world to the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. So when we stand and sing, and I invite you to stand with us now, the invitation this morning is to say, God, save me. God, rescue me. God, rescue us all. You can stand together. Sorry if that wasn't super clear then. God, we want to be a part of your kingdom purposes. We want to be a part of your renewing work in the world because God works with His people to do His work in the world. And new creation has begun and we get to join in on the next stage of it in our part, our contribution. So as you worship God now, Let this be a moment to say all glory to you, God, who has become King of all the earth and of my life. And may I live my life in such a way that reflects who's actually in charge of the world now and forevermore. Amen. Let's sing.